0: Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and
1: failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city.
0: Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Great. Today, my guest, an academic, an activist, and a politician, in 2019... Uh, she, along with her colleagues Jean Swanson and Colleen Hardwick made Vancouver Magazine's 2019 Power 50 list, which ranks the city's most influential players. She was the first member of the Green Party to be elected in Vancouver City Council. Very excited to have you here today. Thank you, Adrian. Welcome, Adrian Carr. Yeah, Thank my you.
1: pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me on.
0: Now We actually met a few years ago, uh, so I was really excited to finally see each other again. We have a whole list of topics I'd love to get through, and I'm not sure how many we'll be able to, but just to kind of touch on some of them, one of the ones I'd love to talk about first off is how you did so well in the last election. I know there was a lot of talk about you potentially even running for mayor, so I'd Mm. love to touch on that. Um, Would love to talk about your your passion for uh, the environment and ways in which you can help influence the city and people living here to um, so-called divest ourselves of fossil fuels and get ourselves off of that. Um, we could talk talk a bit about uh, the recycling activity and landfill. I um, also wanted to talk to you about you guys implemented a uh, um, some special rules around short-term property rentals. There's the empty uh, empty homes tax that you guys implemented, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago now, mm-hmm. and then anything else you'd like to talk about. So maybe let's start by talking about the election that you just had, I guess it was, I guess about a year and a half ago now. It was, it was October. A year,
1: year and a quarter. year and a quarter. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, this is, how many terms is this for you now? This is my third term. Third term. Yeah. Wow. And we, here's the ranking here. So we can see that you received almost, just short of 70,000 votes. And I, congratulations, that was yeah. amazing. Um, I remember leading, after uh, Mayor Gregor Robertson announced that he was going to not reelect, uh, not rerun for mayor. There was a lot of talk in the press, and I was kind of excited about the idea of you running for mayor. In fact, I think he even wrote a tweet that was a, I don't know if he called you name out directly, but he said something about we need a a female mayor in the city of Vancouver. How come you didn't run for mayor?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It took me a long time to decide, and uh, so part of me, and certainly I was... Lobbied heavily by members of the public to run, uh, but part of me is going, yes, uh, I I think that I could make a difference as mayor of the city of Vancouver uh, in that leadership position. Um, and then uh, so many people said we would we really want you as mayor, but we want to make sure you're elected,
0: right? And so
1: that was the pivotal question yeah. in my mind: How do I ensure that I'm going to get elected? Like it's hard. Ho- I felt like I had a really good shot at getting reelected as a counselor uh, and pretty well a sure thing given that I had uh, done extremely well in the previous election. Uh, But but to run for mayor is a tricky business. And so I actually started reaching out to other parties and just saying, would you support me or other individuals? Would you support me? And You know, just other parties, because they didn't really have any candidates for mayor at that time, that I started thinking about it. And all the other parties said, "Mm, in the end, no, Mm -hmm. Uh, that they were going to run their own mayor candidates. And that meant a very competitive field. And people only get one vote for mayor to get 10 votes for council. Yeah. And I, um, in the end, after talking to lots and lots of people, um, said, well, do you want me to run for mayor and stand the chance of losing? Do you want me to run for council and pretty well assure yourself that I'm going to be on that council? And the vast majority of people said, we don't want to lose you. We can't afford to lose you off council. Uh, so that was really one of my... Pivotal reasons,
0: and I kind of figured that, but it was—it's great to hear it straight from the from the horse's mouth uh, that. And now, do you think there's a flaw in our system? I, I like of all the three federal, provincial, and municipal. I like the municipal system the most because I do believe that party. I know you're part of a party, and I've always I've been a longtime supporter of the Green Party. But I do believe that big parties tend to have more of a negative influence on politics than positive. And the nice thing about municipal elections is you can truly run as an independent. Um, but do you think there's a flaw in our system now where you get some maybe great candidates that run for mayor, but they just don't they, they, they miss the vote by a small fraction and yet they go from being the, you know, potentially the most influential politician in the city? to having no involvement at all? Mm,
1: mm. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's a very interesting question. I I actually have thought and looked at um, some other places that uh, don't have a mayor run independently. Um, They actually have parties that run and individuals that run. And then amongst those people that get elected, they vote in. Who will be mayor? Oh, neat! And so, uh, and there's even parliaments that do that, such as in in the north of Canada. Right. So you know, there's that's that's what to thing to perhaps think about yeah um be, but in, in the end um you know i think we've got a very interesting council yeah uh, there's eight women out of 11 is it's, there really yeah yep, there's yeah. nine out of 11 people are new uh <laughs> and we have an independent mayor uh and a mix of parties and i actually think it really works well it is time consuming but it works really well for democracy
0: yeah okay well that's great well that's an interesting one to contemplate but uh um, I'm glad you're back in I'm glad you're having this influence because I think it's important um, can we maybe take a minute to talk about your passion for the environment and the kind of things that y- you would really like to speak to the audience about that you're you're wanting to do for the city um, say between now and the next election or further I'm assuming you're going to want to rerun again and well, I guess we're about what with- two years away from another election? Two and a half. Two and a half. So maybe give you a chance here to kind of talk about your platform and what's important to you.
1: Right. Um, well, I I absolutely believe that there's some pivotal issues that we have to make big change on in order to really secure people's future here. Um, one of them is action on climate and the second is action on affordability. Um, and I mean, I might even add a third in terms that's a bit different, but quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we get more... And more dense as a city, those measures of quality of life are also incredibly important. But climate, um, for me, it's become a mission. Um, a mission because I think we have very little time to turn around the trajectory we're on right now, the uh, trajectory we're on right now, to actually exceed. A, a kind of level of global warming that won't be disastrous. And the scientists are saying it clearly. The rate, the most recent science um, that came out globally in 2018 was, look, we have to be net zero carbon emissions by 2050. We have to be at least 50% down by 2030, which is not long from now. Uh, and even more recently, I've seen scientists report saying, we got to get at it at 7% decrease per year. We've got to buy before 2035 be at net zero, that is huge. And, and the reason why I think we have to consider this as a uh, issue for Vancouver to handle, it's not just a global issue. It is a global concern, but every jurisdiction has to act decisively and quickly to reduce emissions. And why I, I see for Vancouver that that's so important is issues like... Um, rising sea level. I've seen reports land on our council table saying some parts of the city staff are saying we may even have to recommend abandonment. We will not be able to protect those areas because along the Fraser River, for example, it's just too long of a distance to protect. Um, losing the seawall, losing parks, waterfront, overly... Uh, wet winters, lots of rainstorms, lots of problems that way overly dry summers, droughts, you know people having to worry about water advisories. you know this is this is going not only impact us locally, but globally food production is really going to be problematic. Um, I just came from a conference in Europe that I attended on behalf of Metro Van, Metro Vancouver where I'm chair of Climate Action Committee where they were talking about the predictions these are these were scientists saying we're looking at predictions of of temperature rise in the with the eastern mediterranean they were looking at that would potentially be almost 60 degrees centigrade average summer temperature by 2100 60 degrees. wow people can't live in that you can't grow food in that no not we're going to have hundreds of millions of environmental refugees, climate refugees, and we are going to need to grow our own food far more than we are now.
0: So let's talk about some of the ways in which the, uh, this is a great segue into talking about how the city of Vancouver can do what is the common phrase, think globally and act locally. Mm, And I mm, love that philosophy. mm. Look, Adrian, I've, and I'll for full disclosure for the listeners, I've supported many green parties, including your own, uh, both by voting as well as donating um, my own money. Um, so I believe in it. But I also have to tell you that I do feel like there are a lot of, I don't know what you call them, green alarmists out there. That um, they seem to have a, a bit of a political agenda and aren't really um, practicing what they preach. Um, So without us getting into the whole Mm -hmm. topic of, say, a Greta Thunberg, who I'd put in that category probably, and I'm going to probably offend people by saying that, Um, let's go back to what can the city do to think globally and act locally because I believe that is the most important. Like, If we can have globally people at a grassroots level just look at their own impact, and I'm going to speak to one right now to give you an example. I'm a big fan with my three young children of teaching them about sustainability of of waste Mm. Um, so we have i think a fairly good system here in vancouver with a curbside system but i go beyond that with my own family where i take my kids to zero waste center uh, for items that can't be disposed of through our uh, recycling and compost i go even further than that with our by the beginning just telling our kids about try not to create waste in the first place you know we, we for example we don't allow anybody in our family to go and buy plastic bags because there's enough plastic bags floating around there when the odd time you buy something that you can use that for garbage we we literally my friend my friend's kind of kind of crazy but i i wash and and dry out my uh, ziploc bags i mean i have some ziploc yeah you do too <laughs> right um so those are the kind of things you and i can do as consumers living in our own homes but i've also made an observation and this is where i want to speak to some of my disappointment with the city i've noticed for example uh down in second beach um during the uh, it was after the uh, uh, pride parade uh, i went down there with my my children and you guys have set up these new nice fancy looking new bins of mm. there's a weight a land fill one or waste there's one for compost there's one for recycling and they were empty and i was uh i reached out to the city and i was told because. Uh, during big events, these get cleared out for safety reasons. And when I was down there over that weekend last summer, and I've got pictures of this on my Twitter account, there was garbage strewn everywhere. And I, I kind of question now, I mean this is probably Park Board initiative than yourselves in the city, but the Park Board reports to you guys, if I recall. Um, yeah, we, and, we fund them. Yeah, you fund them. And so one of my concerns I have is that the city isn't doing enough, in my opinion, to help really ensure... That people in Vancouver, whether they're residents here or they're visiting, and I think the ones that are visiting from other jurisdictions, they're coming in for the day to go to the beach, and they go to these bins, and they're either completely full, so there's nowhere to put your recycling, or they're not even the bins aren't even there because of some event that occurred that night before, and I'm wondering if you might be able to talk to some of the things that you are looking to trying to get the city to do to improve that.
1: Mm. Well, you're absolutely right, um, that, uh, there's been a lot of discussion at the council table about, uh, insufficient recycling stations throughout the city. Right. Um, so uh, I really did push for that as well. And we got some, um, some of the first ones in, uh, stations, uh, in the West end where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work. People are actually, you know, you see people standing in front of them and looking to make sure they're putting their stuff in the right bin and sometimes they're confused. Yeah. <laughs> so I think good signage, uh, that doesn't require words but has good pictures um, is is really good on those and those stations should be multiple stations um, and it's hard around their organics because they have to be picked up daily especially yeah, in the summertime yeah. uh, but I think putting uh, and and we should have recycling stations in every single park multiple re- recycling stations we don't have that yet um, it's we're not even up- close
0: Adrian yeah, I know I mean I it's know. really bad I mean yeah. I, you if, whether if I go down to Kitts Beach and I have a banana. I take my three kids down. I want to give them each a banana. I take that banana. I put it in a bag, in my in a Ziploc bag, and put it in my bag. Take take home because there's nowhere for me to put compost. Yeah. And there's vendors selling ice cream cones and all sorts of things around there, and people are just having to throw it in the in the bin.
1: Yeah. No, and I agree with you we have to put more money uh-huh. into those recycling stations and it is a matter of money yeah. we really have to you know buy the stations and set them up and then of course have the staff yeah, to the be servicing. able to To service them. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, But I think people want that. Uh, And hopefully, we're going to see a reduction in some waste. um, Because we just passed this year, uh, you know, programs to actually ban plastic straws and uh, throw away um, uh, food trays, coroplasts etc so um, we're going to see that those kind of food container type things which are the predominant amount of waste right now in the downtown area particularly and mm-hmm. in the park areas so hopefully we're going to see the move and and, and that, that move is going to include banning plastic bags um, yeah, how far
0: away are we from that because i know there's some other jurisdictions in the world like i think san francisco's had a ban on single-use plastic bags for many years now how far are we away from getting the city of Vancouver to be in the same spot a year a year
1: yeah uh, so we passed it uh, we, okay so we passed it and it's now getting implemented and there is a, a phase in time sure. um, to get implemented but yes we are we are moving and there's there's some things that are taking a bit longer for example coffee cups uh-huh. um, the restaurants and take food takeaway places complained that they didn't have an alternative that they could move to that was sufficient in supply to be able to um, uh, for them to be able to proceed quickly. So there's a bit of a longer timeline—a year and a half or something like that. I'm, I, I might have to mm-hmm. check on that. But it's you know it's it's longer than a year. Yeah. Um, in order to get the market to adjust, but really single-use items, we are on a path. We are on a, a fast track path and a mission okay. to get rid of those because that's the majority of waste.
0: Okay. Now let's talk about for a, sec- a second about say for example straws mm-hmm. and, and plastic straws are now banned in Vancouver, is yep. that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, what I've noticed is that a lot of um, food vendors or um, retailers that have uh, uh, food operations now what they've got is some of them have these paper straws mm-hmm. which for sure are compostable because normally they don't last longer than about 10 minutes before <laughs> you, you got to drink your drink quickly. <laughs> Um, but I've noticed a lot of them are now going to these uh, so-called compostable straws that are basically made with instead of petroleum product, they're made with uh, canola oil. Mm-hmm. So they're still basically plastic. But I don't know enough about how the biology of these straws works to speak to it. Um, is there any kind of standard to say, well, just because it's uh, made with petroleum, I'm sorry, made with canola oil? Is still considered plastic, or is there a standard? How does that work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no, a pot- a canola oil, which is a food, it's a plant based yeah. product, is not the same as a fossil fuel. Okay. So, they may feel like a plastic, but they're not a plastic. I mean, true plastics are out of the fossil fuel industry, right? Right. <sighs> Um, so, and good for you for being so interested. And, and lucky kids that <laughs> they're growing up in a household where there's such attention to this. Uh, so, you know, um, a lot of the straws, the replacement straws they're using, um, are like. Sugarcane based, or they're they're a, they're food based straws, so they okay. are compostable because they are basically food products. Okay, um, the ones that are still allowed, I should you know make sure that you and and the and your audience is very clear about this. We are still requiring that if a person who is in need of a bendable plastic straw for some reason related potentially to a disability, sure. on request, need to be able to be provided with one. Right. Um, so other than that, the straws are going, you know, bye bye in terms of the uh, the fossil fuel based plastic ones. Um, and some you'll see some in some stores that are actually yes compostable. But I do want to add, you've raised a good point. So many people see things saying compostable, compostable tray, yeah. compostable. Yeah. And they are actually not very good. I mean, they might compost, but they take a really long time. And for people who do recycling, Louise Schwartz, for example, Recycling Alternatives, but she'll give you an earful on this. Okay, um, that who's this? Let's quickly talk about who's Louis Schwartz? <laughs> Louise Schwartz? Louise Schwartz. Schwartz? Founder of Recycling Alternatives, the okay. primo person in Vancouver on on recycling. Okay. Um, but she'll say it's really, it's really hard uh, to- Maybe I should have her come in. Oh, she give us all a she lesson. She is brilliant. Really? Yeah, no, really. Yeah, yeah. She's at the forefront. And her yeah. latest thing is uh, is turning dog, doggy doo doo into <laughs> good compost <laughs> so, and with no stink. <laughs> Which is great. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of labeling yeah. that makes you think it's actually recyclable when it really isn't. It, yeah. it it takes way too long to break down.
0: Yeah, it seems to me the big challenges that you face as a influential politician who's big on the environment, obviously with the green party tag on your name, mm. um, is is building the infrastructure, which takes time and cost. And there's not just the bins, but having services. And then there's the education side of Mm. it. It seems to me, I don't know your thoughts, but it seems to me like there's a lot of really educated people in Vancouver. It's more, is is the bottleneck more on the infrastructure and service side? Or is it really uh, also a challenge of educating people?
1: You know, I think it's infrastructure, myself. I think it's, it's the money into that infrastructure, which is, it's why... The Paying taxes is so important. Yeah. <laughs> I know mean, oh, sometimes people get bugged about that, but honestly, um, about fifty percent of our budget is in engineering, um, and it's in the kind of things that people really want to make sure. Fifty
0: percent of the entire city of Vancouver's yeah, yeah, budget is yeah, engineering. Yeah. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah. So, what does engineering include? Like, oh, you know, engineering!
1: Like over- engineering includes everything you're talking about right now. So, everything right. to do with waste and, uh, and 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 the landfill and the recycling and all those kinds of and the the the, the, the Containers, the recycling stations, all yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, streets, sewers, water pipes, sidewalks, uh, street lighting, yeah. all of that is yeah. uh, is engineering. It's a, yeah. it's a That's very big. Cycling paths, redoing the bridges. Um, yeah. So no wonder, they're, maybe they're big ticket items. Yeah, they are,
0: that's a good point. And I know there's a lot of work being done on the uh, Granville Street Bridge right now. I think that's a, for seismic, I'm not sure. But, they, yes. is it? but uh, the, the Burrard Street Bridge, has been what looks like to be a very successful transition from a pure car, somewhat Mm. pedestrian Mm. bridge to now. I mean, I know this time of year when it's snowing out, you're not going to see many cyclists. And that's where all the anti-cyclists like to speak up and say, there's nobody on the roads. Mm. But I look at the summertime and, man, it's a thoroughfare of cyclists and people on walking it's pretty cool yeah
1: yeah yeah. and and an increasing number so it's over 10 percent now uh and what i've really observed is a lot of younger people so the millennials down um are really into cycling um many of them if they do um use a car you are they belong to car shares right uh so you know i think that in the future we're gonna see that become more and more a, a mode and Really good transit um, is really the complementary sort of mode of transport to that. Mm. Because honestly, we're going to have to reduce cars, and it's better for quality of life if we do. Sure. Uh, So, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't love, you know, the streets you go in if you travel at all. Um, Especially in Europe, you find them streets that that are car-free, and they've got little street sidewalks and cafes. Absolutely. um, It's just, it's a wonderful
0: well, this is a this is why I love doing these podcasts. I had a list of things I want to talk to you about, and then we go off and uh, <laughs> yeah. on a tangent. And this is the where that gets really interesting. So, I have an observation about what's happened. As I've been a long time resident here in Vancouver on Robson Street, that mm. that that area used to be like the shopping area. Mm. And I think where the the city and the local business, the, the city kind of failed is there was an opportunity there when now, now it's kind of dead. Alberni's right. become kind of the high-end shopping, and I don't know where the other shopping is now, maybe a lot gone, has gone online. But I feel like those retailers, there was an opportunity for that whole street to be shut down at certain times, like you guys do with Granville Street and the bars and, and nightclubs mm-hmm. um, during uh, the summertime, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm, I don't go there anymore, but at the tail end of my single life, mm-hmm. I w- you guys had implemented that, And I saw that as being a hugely successful, you know, people were able to come out into the street and if they're intoxicated, not going to hit by a car Mm -hmm. and lots of police presence. So it reduced the gang activity, I think. Um, But that Robson Street, you know, I think it was a missed opportunity. And when I look at say city of Calgary, ironically, one of the oil centers of our country, um, they have, and I forget what street it is, but they have a section right downtown where in the summertime, they actually shut it down from any traffic so Mm -hmm. they can have those cafes open up. is that something that you guys are working towards today as far as finding pockets of you know high traffic areas where you know there is going to be shut down to vehicle access so that pedestrians can be out there and buskers can be there and that type of thing
1: yeah yeah there has been some talk about it uh, for a long period of time on certain streets okay. um, i would say water street and gastown yeah. is one that a lot of people have been talking about cuz it's pretty slow going in a car on Water Street anyway, especially in the summer with the tourism uh, traffic that's down there. Um, Robson Street has been another one mentioned. Denman, um, parts of Davie. So, you know, people are... Contemplating it, where you've got the kind of that those villages, yes, uh, villages the, is a good yeah. The, the, that sense of really um, vibrant, um, you know, a set, uh, k- kinds of stores and restaurants and cafes and bars and, you know, so uh, those are yeah. I think that's entirely uh, reasonable to think about for the future, yeah. And I hope that actually people get engaged in the plan we've got um, on on. It's way right now. We just uh-huh. launched this this year, um, which is to really think about Vancouver, the Vancouver plan for what kind of city we want to be um, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And uh, maybe people can imagine uh, fewer cars because we have. Excellent modes of transportation alternatives, whether it's a good, much better transit, or cycling, or pedestrian walkways, and more compact communities with these beautiful little villages of, of sort of uh, local businesses and services, um, where you could actually shut down some streets. It's very common in Europe. It uh, is.
0: That's yeah, absolutely it is. Uh,
1: and and people love it. No one complains. I mean, if you have a car, it's really difficult to get around, but, yeah. but I think that the way forward in the future is going to be you know, many, many fewer people owning their own vehicle and um, instead picking up a car when they need it for longer distances through a car share yeah. uh, and otherwise getting around with other modes of transport that uh, that are actually healthy yeah. and, and keep that city livable.
0: So do we have any... Okay, here's a good example. We, I just answered my own question. I was going to say, do we have any parts of the city where... Uh, we have basically either temporarily shut down because of se- like maybe in the summertime, or permanently su- shut down vehicle access. And we actually do right at the uh, heart, right down the street here at the uh, Vancouver um, at the Vancouver Art Gallery yep. along Robs between Ro- on Robson Street there. Yep. you guys, it was temporary, and now it's permanent. There's yes. no cars that go between what is that Hornby and Howe. Mm-hmm. And I, in the summertime, when you walk around there, it becomes a major hub. Yeah. For people, or again, buskers, people protesting—if they, you know, what? Lots of really neat activity. Are there are there other examples that you can speak of where that's happened in the city?
1: Well, I think the probably the biggest example is our car-free days. Okay. Uh, so there's a car-free day every year um, on Denman. Mm-hmm. There's one on Commercial Drive. Yeah. Uh, there's one on on Main Street. Yeah. And they go for many many blocks and lots of restaurants along the route. And other stores put out sort of sidewalk, street front, um, you know, tables and, and, and other people come in and put up more more tables. There's lots of food available. There's mm-hmm. little street side cafes. I mean, they're they're probably the prime example. Now, they're only one day. Yes. But there's lots of music mixed in and, yeah. you know, they're fun. Yeah. Lots of, I mean, we're talking like tens of thousands of people yeah. who go down and really have a great time.
0: But if, if anything, that to me shows me the ta- amount of support for this idea Mm -hmm. of a more permanent car-free areas. Uh, I I believe that one, I, I think it was Gregor Robertson who was kind of the pioneer behind the, sort of temporary bike lane on Burrard street bridge yep and it was a pilot project i think this is to me i love pilot projects it's the only way it's a lot of times it's the only way you can get things passed Mm -hmm. without because there's always the uh, opposing side what would it take for say the city of vancouver to go back to that and i don't know anybody on that runs a business on robson street but i just observe like there's that cactus club they've now got they've taken out a parking couple parking spots so they could have that patio yes what about just expanding that for like two blocks straight and run it for a pilot for like an entire summer say for the entire summer it's, I mean, what, good th- what,
1: it's a good thing to test with people yeah Our what, what,
0: what, what did, would t- something like that take what, what, what's required you have to have the local business uh, yep. association get involved the, or the,
1: the local business improvement association should uh-huh. absolutely be involved because yeah. um it's their stores and uh businesses that yeah. you know need to be on board or it's you know, otherwise it'll be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a good thing to actually test out with the public. So, doing a, a survey of some kind would be a good idea, too. But, you know, so far, I think that I'm seeing a greater willingness and openness of Vancouverites to different ways of looking at streets, sure. other than just parking and movement of vehicles, yeah. to thinking about streets as places for people. Yeah. Um, as I say, like they do in Europe.
0: Yeah. Now, we've just had finally Uber and Lyft come into, and ride sharing come into uh, the city Mm. uh, with very high sort of uh, restrictions or on the, you have to have a class four license thing is the big hurdle there. So it's very different from, say, Calgary or Toronto. Um, What are your thoughts on, on this latest change, which is going to, over time, I'm sure, change the way in which our city does work? as you described. What
1: are your thoughts? I I have some really mixed feelings about it. Um, Mixed feelings because I really appreciated that the Vancouver Taxi Association and, um really worked with the city towards some of our goals regarding accessibility, for example, having a certain percentage of their cabs being accessible and training uh, their cab drivers in how to deal with and and work with a passenger um, who is disabled uh, safely. Uh, And also a real commitment to uh, 100% of the fleet being hybrids, so reducing the footprint, the greenhouse gas emission footprint of the vehicles. And those same things aren't in place with Uber and Lyft. They're not, okay. Uh, they're not, and that concerns me. Um, we've tried through our licensing to kind of move things in that direction, saying Uber and Lyft, you know, if you've got a license, you can use a taxi stand only if you've got a, a vehicle that is a hybrid um, or an EV, mm-hmm. um, so to try and, and maintain that kind of lower air emissions. Um so these so, are
0: these are sort of local Vancouver bylaws that you've layered on top of the regulations by the provincial government. It's
1: part of our licensing. It's part of it, okay. We have a license. Yeah. Okay, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, the thing is that uh, it, I also um, well, I know that people really were upset by not being able to get cabs <laughs> as, as uh, timely as they would like. I also know as a counselor, um, that the cab companies, the Vancouver Taxi Association, had applied to the provincial government, starting years ago with the Liberals and then with the NDP, for more licenses to be able to offer more service, and they were turned down. Mm. So it's not their fault that I there see. weren't that many taxi cabs on the road. Um, and I think there maybe was always this idea of bringing in uh, the rideshare yeah. vehicle system. So we'll see how it works. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, as I say, i same concerned around... Uh, Potential for increased congestion, air emissions, not as many accessible cabs and you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of Yeah, I mean,
0: there definitely is an argument that it could actually add more vehicles to our roads yeah. as well. Um, let's maybe, I'd be curious to know, since you have such uh, somewhat uh, conflicted views or challenged views on, mm-hmm. on ride sharing with uh, Uber or Lyft, in going back to Calgary, where I was at uh, in the summertime, I saw that they have this... Um, uh, kick scooters, I think they call them. They're called by a company called Mint. I think is mm-hmm. one of the main ones mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And I was down in Buenos Aires, Argentina, a little mm-hmm. while ago, and they also have the same company has Mint scooters mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. there.
1: Is it so- lime? Oh, lime? Lime. That's yeah. it. I, yeah. I
0: knew it was some yeah. Know, yeah. S- some citrus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so or some some plant. So it's called lime. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing in Calgary. Now, of course, I just got to Cal- I went to Calgary a couple of weeks ago, and they're not there right now. Of course, mm. they have pulled them off the streets because it's so friggin cold there, and nobody's yeah. going to ride yeah. one of those. But um, these are these are electric. Well, they call them kick scooters, so mm-hmm. s- and and, and um, we don't have that here in Vancouver. I know it was a lot of work to get the. What are the bikes called? The share bikes. What yeah, are those bike share, yeah. Bi- yeah, bike share. Bike bike share. What are your thoughts on having an alternative to bike share, but having like a scooter? And what are the challenges there?
1: Ah. Uh, I'm not sure what the challenges are but yeah. I hear a lot of people talking about it yeah. um, and wanting to see it so I think that uh, uh, I think that uh, Lyme's actually been talking to city staff they have? I don't know where okay. the, I don't know where the conversations have headed we don't yeah. we haven't seen anything at the council table yet Okay. Um, but I think people are very interested in electric uh, bike share. We got a lot of heels yeah, <laughs> in Vancouver, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the, uh, stu- the and the scooters, the yeah. Lime scooters, they're really popular down in Seattle. Yeah, um, so you know there are. I think the more that we can think about sharing mm-hmm. modes of transit and travel, the better.
0: Sure. Yeah. Now I got to think you're you're a huge fan of electric vehicles. Mm, yeah. as an alternative to combustion engines. Um, I'll tell you just locally here so we're in the Pacific Center where Uh we're we're recording this and I work here and I had, my my company had bought a um, a, a Hyundai Kona EV and we bought it about a year ago and after my staff, for my staff to because they have to go out and instead of getting into a taxi or driving their own cars this was a vehicle to be used by the staff. And the feedback I got after about four months is it was a pain in the butt to charge. Mm. And because Pacific Center has this massive bank of Tesla charging stations, we finally sold the car back to the dealership mm. and bought ourselves a Tesla. Mm. Um, I didn't want to because it was going to be a higher price point and, and, and not, not nothing against Tesla. But it was interesting to see as a consumer where I was trying to do the, what I could to help do something better for the environment by instead of buying a combustion engine EV, we still have an EV, but we're kind of directed towards Tesla because the infrastructure to to power a um, to charge a an EV that's not a Tesla is really tough in the city. Have other people brought that to your attention? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's been the real barrier to more people getting yeah. uh, EVs, and yeah. in fact, it was a barrier to me getting an EV okay. um, because I live in a condo downtown, yeah. and um, and there was no way that the condo was going to put in a whole charging system for me, um, so they were going to require me to pay for it, yeah. and um, and that was going to cost me an arm and a leg. Yeah. Um, so for condo dwellers, it's that's it's it's really a barrier. Also, I had to go with a um, a hybrid again, but. Yeah.
0: So you can relate.
1: Uh, I could totally relate.
0: So how does this get fixed? Adrienne? Okay, so
1: let me tell you about a project that I did uh, pass by council, uh, that is just one part of the solution. It's just okay. one part, yeah. but it's 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 being creative, and it's trying to think about different partnerships yeah. uh, to move it forward. So I was repro- approached by a woman um, in the film industry, saying she really wanted to see the film industry get off gas and diesel engines on their offsite shooting locations. Yes, yeah. right. And so she's. Now we're willing to help fund the money, or fund the, the, fund the, the installation of these uh, uh, power drop points. And those power drops actually can be also used for people who want to plug in uh, an EV. Yeah, right, right. When sure. we're not, when they're not using it, yeah, right? Great idea. Uh, so I got a motion pass council, and it ended up being one not just for the film industry, because I tied it into also food trucks and those kinds of things. But, but it ended up being a complete. We're heading for a complete ban on the use of, of uh, diesel engines, uh, the the um, uh, generators that that run on diesel or gas mm-hmm. in the city to reduce GHGs. It's going to be. It's, we're going to really. It'll be a lot of GHGs yeah. that we get. You know, out of the city. Right. Um, so all of those places where they have the plug-ins now can then become plugins, as I to say, not just for the film industry generators or food trucks, but for electric vehicles. So that's the beginning of thinking about a network right. of actual plugins that are that are throughout the city. And um, definitely, our staff are knowledgeable and in, in you know in the fact that we need a comprehensive network because not everybody is going to be able to have access to a charging station. Um, because either they don't have a home where they yeah. can run a line, um, or they don't live—they don't live in an apartment or a condo that has that kind of station in it to begin with. So, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. It's well,
0: definitely a lot of work. I yeah. mean, we—we we live in the city of Vancouver, and we have—we're um, we're about to buy our second EV, mm-hmm. uh, so that we'll have no more combustion engine. My wife's had a Tesla for a while. I'm going to be getting one, mm-hmm. uh, an EV, and. The amount of work it's taking for us to get a second line dropped in our garage,
1: I—it's—it's th- uh-huh.
0: it's a real pain, Adrian. Oh, huh, like,
1: interesting. I'll bring—I'll bring that up with yeah. staff.
0: Now apparently it's changed. No, not just because and I don't it's you, if it's a, but yeah. if it's you, yeah, yeah. there must
1: be lots of other people with yes, the problem. Yeah,
0: because I think what happened was I, I don't think so. Now I'm not sure if it's changed. Now, I don't know if this is Hydro or the City of Vancouver, but what we were told was that apparently because we're not making an application to put a uh, carriage home in mm-hmm. the back of our cuz our, our garage is it would could be theoretically a carriage home instead right. but we have parked our cars there. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. apparently we can't have a second line brought in unless it's for a carriage home. Now I think that's finally changed, but I will tell you that again this is, goes back to the infrastructure question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of all these neat ideas is man this, this is a lot of work and I guess you see it all the time, but this yeah. is a lot of it's it seems like cuz if we want if we want vancouverites and canadians to make the switch in in their day-to-day activity whether it's we're talking about evs or anything else that relates to you know I'll call it a carbon footprint uh-huh. we've got to give people an easy access to the alternatives because if you make it too hard, sadly, most people are not going to go for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, other than the real compassionate.
1: Yeah. You know, no, you need you need the infrastructure. I mm-hmm. agree that uh, that that's there. But that does bring me to another point. Yeah. Which is, um, as we switch out of fossil fuels, hopefully very fast, and into um, other forms of energy that are renewable and sustainable and not emitting greenhouse gases, uh, the actual draw. On electricity is going to be very high. And uh, it's really important that we look at generating Mm -hmm. uh, renewable energy. uh, That right now in the city, we don't do a lot of that. And um, I'm pushing very hard to see us become better at, for example, um, requiring homes to put in some solar applications. Now, not every home can do it because some homes just aren't, they don't have sunlight hitting them (laughs) or they're Mm -hmm. shaded or they're you know whatever Um, but I really I I just um, went to Berlin as I was saying earlier for for a conference on on climate um, with lots of climate scientists but found out that in Berlin they're doing um, an actual plan that every home, every building has to have some aspect of solar roof, or if it's just not possible because of shading, a green roof. Uh, I already passed my motion to have a green roof uh, on commercial <laughs> buildings but and multifamily dwellings, dwellings but... Uh, but I, I really think that that's the way to go. I've had okay. we've, we have a place on the Sunshine Coast, thirty something years ago, thirty three years ago. We put in solar hot water, yeah. paid it off within six years in terms of reduced heating costs for the for solar hot water. It's been free solar free hot water ever since then.
0: Wow, wow. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We had Matt Horn uh, mm. from city uh, from the city of Vancouver here, uh, uh, maybe about a month ago now. And it was interesting. What, what was the stat, uh, Ross, on how much of the city's um, It's ninety-seven percent, and that's from um, space sure. and water heating. Yeah, and space uh, and vehicles. Yeah, it was, it, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's space, it's space and water heating is what the, is one factor, and yeah. then uh, emissions from vehicles, and those two combine for ninety-seven percent of, of the yeah. of the emissions. Yes. That's yeah. right.
1: It's fifty-six percent buildings, inefficient buildings, and yeah. you know, then the big chunk, the rest of it is, is um, obviously uh, vehicles. Yeah. But um, because a lot uh, of the emissions are related to people who went with gas, because the cost of gas is low. Yeah. Um, the province really, uh really, and and Ford has really supported it. So, yeah. um, they, you know, they were really compelling people. Not compelling, but. Drawing people into switching from oil to gas, yeah. right? Which that was, you know, that's better. Yeah. But, uh, but the point is, we have to get off gas. Yeah. yeah, It's still a yeah. fossil fuel.
0: Yeah. He talked about, for example, the um, uh, what do they call those electric heat uh, pumps? Yeah, the heat pumps. Yeah, yeah. It was a fascinating conversation yeah, about yeah. that. Adrian, let's talk a minute about property taxes, and I'm going to propose an idea. It just came up to my popped in my head here. Property taxes are completely aligned with assessed values, right? There's just a correlation. I mean, whatever your assessed value is, uh, if, you, if you if you have a yeah. home in Vancouver, your property tax is a percentage of that assessed value. Um, certain people will get a um, homeowner's grant mm-hmm. if I think the value of the property has to be below a million dollars and they live in the home. Maybe I'm wrong. Right? I think it
1: can, I think it it can it? be higher than that. It can be, but can it be higher? Like, I may, yeah.
0: I'm not yeah. Maybe you can check that, Ross, the homeowner's grant uh, restrictions. Um, Well, one of the things that I I would think would be neat to see is that there may be some kind of offset credit, whatever you could want to call it, for a homeowner. So, for example, if I look at my home and I look at my neighbor right next to me, their home is dated. They don't care about the environment, I can Mm -hmm. tell you that. um, There's single pane windows. There's a lot of heat leaving the home. They don't do their composting or recycling. Everything just goes Mm -hmm. in the bin. Uh, meanwhile, here's my family, we're not by the by any stretch perfectionists at this, but we're doing what we can. And um, and I, I wonder if there might be an idea of encouraging um, residents to to there's a financial incentive in a sense for them to make their homes more eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. And if if Matt is correct in saying that, and you're saying that, 56% of our uh, of our emissions come from inefficient properties, mm-hmm. which I could assume is the same, not just for big old buildings, but also old homes. Totally. Um, I know BC Hydro has some programs and whatnot, but has the city have ever thought about that?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, it, and we're just in the beginning phase of this. so. Um, so one thing that I'm very keen to do is to do exactly what you say. Basically, reward people for efficiency. But that means penalizing them if they're not. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, in a way, um, we've already kind of done it for Metro Vancouver. Okay. Uh, in terms of not buildings, but engines, off-road diesel engines that are used on you know, building sites and construction sites and all that kind of stuff. And um, for because Metro Vancouver is in charge of air emissions and air quality, um, it, you know, it, that stuff is not only bad in terms of GHGs, but really bad in terms of particulate matter and mm-hmm. breathing that stuff in yeah. um, into your lungs. So um, so in Metro, we put a fee on uh, on an off-road diesel engine. And it was a really high fee if it was a really dirty engine. And then if you decided to switch out your engine like fast, you got a rebate on three years of fees. Um, So there was this financial incentive to actually get off that engine. So imagine if we did the kind of same thing around homes. And, And let's just take homes, not all buildings, but start with just homes and said, all right, we need homes to be zero net energy by a certain date so we're going to ramp up like how efficient homes have to be in terms of their heating over a period of time to get to that net zero and there's going to be a standard for a home of a you know certain size or whatever and that standard if you have emissions ghgs from your operations from because you you know you use gas or oil or whatever that's higher than that you're going to pay a fee mm. Um, and that fee's going to go to a pot of money. And when you decide that you don't really want to pay that fee anymore and you said you want to retrofit and put in a heat pump or put in some solar hot water, you got to apply for a grant to get some of that money back oh, wow. that you paid out to do the retrofit. Uh, Don't you think that's a good idea? That's a great idea. I love that. Okay. So it's called benchmarking. Benchmarking buildings um, by how much GHGs they really should be uh, emitting, no more than. And so we need the data to do that. But it's already a conversation that is starting to happen.
0: Okay. Now, when we look at our power consumption as as a residential home here in Vancouver, um, to get heat— to get hot water mm. to keep your home functioning you have really three sources of energy you have electricity you have oil i i guess mm. i don't do people still have oil there's still some there's still but some they're out not, there. not very much i guess it, it's about as common as a wood burning fireplace too yeah. those aren't very common <laughs> yeah, they're, they're yeah. going down yeah. Like, yeah uh so you basically come down to to natural gas mm-hmm. or, or electricity or combination to right. two. um is there a challenge that you face at city council where you've got I think it's Fortis BC who's who oversees the gas system here in yep. the province, who obviously have a lot of big, deep pockets and they're very influential politically. Um, and it would be, you know, obviously not in their favor to have you out there promoting the Vancouverites stop ha- burning gasoline for their fireplaces and switch to something that looks nice but is actually generated by electricity. Because um, I'm assuming anything that is electric, electricity generating is got virtually zero emissions because yeah. it's coming from our hydro. Ninety-six percent comes
1: from hydro. That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Well, they have been a bit uh, stuck in the mud <laughs> in terms of uh, moving forward with the idea of benchmarking. They're reluctant at this point anyway to um, to release the data that re- that's required in order to benchmark. Uh-huh. Right. You need information. Yeah. Uh, they've got it, but they'd have to publicly disclose it, which yeah. or and it, was, it could still be very much confidential, yeah. uh, but they haven't said yes to yeah. that yet. Um, so I think that that what we have to realize is that you know gas has been touted for a while as the kind of transition fuel right. between oil, heavy oil and going fossil fuel free. Uh-huh. Uh, and that time that and that window for that transition is rapidly closing mm-hmm. based on science, based on the scientific um, projection of data saying we've got to move fast on, right. on reducing GHGs. Um, so really what we need uh, Fortis to do is to get with it. And f- number one, they're not going to go out of business in the sense that there's renewable gas, and a lot of people will still be able to, for example, keep their systems in place and, and have a gas stove, but it'll be yeah. renewable. So yeah, for Matt exa-
0: Horne had talked about this, actually, about the, uh, I had never heard of renewable diesel, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah Yeah,
1: so absolutely well actually i I was talking about uh louise schwartz and recycling alternatives like she actually has produced that uh stuff and you know it's like you have to compost waste and then you you can get to it but the point is and plastics i guess Mm -hmm. but anyway the point is on our landfill we've been capturing the methane um and it's been a big reason why we have been bringing down some ghgs in the city i think we're 12 percent below um, below 1990 levels at mm-hmm. this point or 2007 levels anyway so uh, that would be available for people but it's not going to heat your hot water mm-hmm. it will be available for the high end uses lots of people like to cook with gas for example they just like the way it you know food handles it gas. is
0: nice i admit i've got it we've got both on our house but yeah yeah, yeah. okay
1: yeah. so so it's used in that in that way but for hot water as i say i, I big believer in any place I can to switch to doing some solar hot water. Right. It's a direct heating by the sun. Even in the winter, it can preheat yeah. your water. So the electricity needed to bring it up beyond that is very little. Um, but we so, do... So how,
0: how would someone like myself live in a single family home in Vancouver? How would I move to that step? Who do I call? Where, where would I find the resources to implement a solar system, whether it's to solar just to heat my water or to actually help power my home what what advice do you have there
1: well that's that's good i mean i do a lot of research on my own uh-huh. but really i think we should have a portal in the city right um on our website that actually says like if this is what you want to do well the other thing that i, I i'm pushing yeah. for um and i'm doing this also through that the committee that i'm on through the union of bc municipalities so working with the province is a kind of a um a retrofit code, building code. So we have a building code for new buildings, but we should have a retrofit code, like how you go through. And then with with materials and the advice at each stage of that. So the first thing is absolutely make sure you are weatherproofed in your home. So make sure that your doors and windows are all weatherproofed. If you've got old windows, replace them. That can save you a lot like yeah. maybe I've heard some people say 30% of yeah. their energy bill yeah. is leaky windows and yeah. leaky doors right yeah
0: even if you don't care about the environment and you just care about your money yeah, yeah. do it
1: <laughs> uh, and and you know what it's a more comfortable home
0: right right absolutely so um
1: so so that's a first step yeah. I would say you know putting in um air to air exchange mm-hmm. if you if you spend any time in Whistler you go into one of those little condos you rent it you know while you're yeah. up there but did that recently yeah. um they all have air-to-air exchangers. They're all mounted on the, on a wall. They have an outside thing, and then they bring in air. And it, it heats the place. That's, and the it heat, heats that's it, a heat pump. A heat pump. Yeah. A that's, heat pump, right, right. That's right. That's, right. Right. that's a heat yeah. pump. And they're not that expensive. Yeah. And that can make your home much, much more comfortable. Yeah. And again, take away that need for using other fuel sources. I, we're a big believer. And right now, I think the city is matching. There's a $3,000 grant from the province, and we're doubling that like tripling that so you can get nine thousand dollars off a heat pump right now oh really Uh, that's right well there's a plug
0: for all the folks so if they (laughs) so is that on the on the website Uh, we should look that up there it's on the bc
1: government website yeah
0: okay but the city of vancouver has a matching program for that yeah yeah and
1: and that matching program is actually on that on the government the bc government website too so you can see it right yeah so anyway, so there's that, and then as I say, um, install solar uh, a solar hot, hot water tank, yeah. and you really because one of the biggest costs in your energy bill per month is actually heating your water if you do it by electricity. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Again, you, there are payback periods where finally you get your return on investment over a period of time. You've paid the thing off, and then you're getting free hot water. You're getting free yeah. you know, heating of your home, et cetera.
0: And you feel good about it, too.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it's more comfortable. And and by the way, heat pumps or air air exchanges, same thing, um, filter the air, so they actually filter out the smoke if it happens to be a smoky summer from wildfires in the interior. Right. So, and it,
0: and Matt also pointed out that it actually can work as an air conditioning system in the summer as well. And they do. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Very very interesting. Well, let's take a moment because I know we don't have a ton of time left here, Ross. Uh, but I'd love to get into If you don't mind, Adrian, just a couple more things here. Sure. I'd love to t- take a minute to talk about um, the short-term rental property mm. model that you guys have implemented. Um, so just to be clear for listeners to this, up until I think it was about two years ago when this got implemented, mm. basically anybody could convert their condo or house into an Airbnb effectively. That was the main provider is Airbnb. And then the city passed this legislation and this regulation where now the only people that can offer Airbnb are individuals that are renting out their own principal residence. Correct. So you couldn't go out and buy a condo in Gastown or in Coal Harbor and then turn around and just make it a permanent Airbnb. And there's other municipalities in BC that are looking at doing this, but City of Vancouver I think led the, led the case in this. And actually in fact, I think this is also what helped the BC government Build their cases to having their own empty ha- homes tax, yeah, yeah. Uh, or that that it's along those lines. Um, my observation is this: we I know a lot of corporate people who come into Vancouver regularly for business, and they they didn't know why, but they're like about two years ago, all of a sudden they noticed that the 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 cost of a hotel room skyrocketed, and in my view, it's because there is this uh, compression of supply of places to stay, especially if someone wanted to stay here for a week, because they can no because the n- number of uh, Airbnb units dropped significantly. And what I'm curious about from an economics perspective is instead of banning it outright, which effectively you've done, I mean, you basically said to anybody that doesn't live in the apartment, they can't rent it out, is just have some very high tax. So at least the city could still generate revenue from it to then put back into affordable housing. I'm not sure if uh, you've thought about that or not, but and, I, and look, I have no I have no vested interest. I'm not in the Airbnb <laughs> business. I don't have a place. or I wasn't affected by this. But I just thought it was interesting that the city went from all to nothing, in a sense. And I wonder yeah. if you have any thoughts. So
1: we did two things. Okay. Um, One thing was we did bring in an empty home tax. And that was before the province yes. did that foreign ownership tax yeah. thing. Yeah. So we did an empty home tax. And the The reason why we did both of these things Mm -hmm. is because of the incredible short supply of rental compared to the demand for rental in the city. Um, And there was – with Airbnb coming in, there was also um, a conversion of many long-term rental suites into short-term rental. At least we couldn't tell because it wasn't accurate data, but this was through anecdotal and some data that we were able to collect and certainly just just people's – yeah people's relaying of stories. Um, So we did a an empty homes tax to say, look, if you aren't living in your home, um, that, you know, it, we we need you to pay, pay something because that's like in a city desperate for housing. Yeah. That's unconscionable, right? Okay. So the empty homes tax came in. That money um, is in place and it is supplying a lot of money, like $30 million, I think, this past year, mm-hmm. uh, towards actually constructing rental housing. Right. So especially, uh, you know, anyway, so we, we, yeah. we use it for housing. On the Airbnb side.
0: And is there a direct correlation, Adrian? Like, is there any kind of commitment by the city that every single dollar that comes in from the empty homes tax goes back into paying specifically for Affordable home, uh, affordable housing rental stock, that type of thing. Yep.
1: The, the first thing that's done is pay for just the system to be set up and the monitoring of the system. Yeah. And, and how much does
0: that cost per year, roughly?
1: Actually, um, I don't know. That's yeah. that's okay. a good question. It was big to begin with. Yeah. But because it was setting up the system, but yeah. I think it's less now. Yeah. Um, and there are some staff, but not a huge number of staff. Okay. Right, so we have the empty homes tax, and that money is going straight in um, into into housing. Yeah. And then for the Airbnb, um, again, we had um, the cost of setting up a system. But basically, I have to say, I, I appreciate that Airbnb actually signed an agreement with the city, um, so that they actually are requiring people um, listing on Airbnb to um, to disclose their information and we have access to that so actually we can monitor the situation, which is fantastic. They've been very cooperative and collaborative Mm -hmm. around this. Okay. Um, And and the point there is that if you are if you have a suite that could be long-term rented, i.e. you're not using it, it's a basement suite or it's a whatever carriage house or, um, or a second condo, uh, that then you are going to pay, um, uh, you know, you're going to pay for, um, that what well, you can't get a permit, you have to treat it as an empty house, house or else rent it long-term or mm-hmm. else use it yourself, right? right? Um, and that what we have seen is an actual drop in the number of empty homes and uh, an increase in the number of rental suites as a consequence. Okay. So um, that's so for been your, the So in goal. your view, it's working? Yes. In my view, it's yeah. working.
0: Okay. Let's talk about the empty homes for a moment. I live in West Point Grey. Mm-hmm. In a fortunate, I'm fortunate enough to live in a nice area that's got some nice homes. I will tell you that there are at least five, if not more, within a two block radius, five empty homes that mm. haven't, they're still empty. They were mm. empty five years ago, they're empty today. Mm. And I think the the rule uh, rules about paying this tax are that you have to st- be occupying the property for I think is at six least... Months. Six months. Yeah. Oh, six months. Is that that much? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I was thinking about the BC one, which I think is less onerous, but... Uh, but in any event, these houses I can guarantee you are not being occupied for six months, mm-hmm. and I really question. But there are there are people who come and go, that turn the lights on, you know, take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. If there's really any garbage, mm-hmm. there's not any garbage, and they, they make make it appear as though it's being occupied. Mm-hmm. So I feel like these are people who are just skirting the system. Mm. Um, I think there are people who probably brought their... Many of them are from, uh, I just know, some of them are from foreign jurisdictions who probably, maybe they laundered their money through a casino in the first place. So breaking this rule is a small fraction infraction compared to what they already did to get their money in the country in the first place. And my concern is, Adrian, is there's no whistleblower program at the city of Vancouver. I don't want to be that snitchy uh, resident, but at the same time, I don't mind being... Because these people, in my view aren't being genuine or honest with what they're doing. And these are homes that are literally not being occupied, or if they're being occupied, they come in for the summer for a month, ha, you know, have a nice time when the weather's nice in Vancouver, and then off they go to the other parts of the world that they live in. Hmm. And I just wonder, what is the city doing to address this kind of thing? Because I think it's a real problem, Biosho. Yeah,
1: we do have a whistleblower program. You do have a whistleblower program. We do, we Oh do. wow! because okay. so I looked for one, I couldn't find it. Yeah, so. we do, and okay. people do call and um, and provide information, and we check it out, and yeah. that has that has helped. It
0: has. Yeah. So you have auditors on staff who will go out and check out a case that they get information on. We, that's right. And okay, okay. Yeah. So where do I find about the whistleblower program? Oh right.
1: well, GFD I'm yeah. sure it's on, it's on the, the website. website. Yeah. Okay. But. I will check when I go back to the office to make sure. Yeah.
0: Do you think this is a problem in our in our city?
1: I think there has been some of that and I think that yeah. there's probably less. I think we're seeing more and more compliance as we go along. Yeah. Um so I, you know, and as I say, it's a good yeah. source of income to the city for a needed Yeah. and goal of, of addressing the housing affordability crisis. Yeah. Uh
0: as I touched on this topic of uh, the casinos and money laundering are there any other concerns that you have around this i mean vancouver is a hub for a lot of financial activity um we have a casino i think mm-hmm. and, um we do. yeah do, do you have do you have any concerns over that as a city councilor
1: yeah i do yeah i do well you know what i've well the thing is we're such a desirable city mm-hmm. and we're such a safe city um a safe city for people to invest and in. we've got really great quality of life here So um, people who are worried about where they may currently live and their security there uh, look to places like Vancouver where they can invest. But as long as you have investors actually playing in the housing market, your housing prices are going to go up. Right. Um, Moreover, those who build housing are building to that market. So you hear all the time about builders who have constructed condos who advertise solely in in China, yeah, for sure. example, yeah. And um, and you know it, we've had investors actually from the beginning probably of Vancouver's history, uh, first from Eastern Canada, from Great Britain, United States. We've always had some people investing here, and it's been a modest amount. We've seen ever since, I think, the real fear of the turnover of Hong Kong yeah, um, or the state the, the of Hong Kong. That sure. was a tipping yeah. point. And then that was coupled with, you know, uh, Expo uh, um, Expo uh, 86. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like this, this open – the doors were opened to investing in B.C. and, and housing in B.C. Um, as a kind of uh, – yeah, just an offer from mm-hmm. from the provincial government at that mm-hmm. time and from the local government. Uh, so I think that, that there was a tipping point then um, as well. And we've seen more and more investment. And it's proceeded because I think some places around the world are getting riskier and riskier. Yeah. Quality of life is a problem in many places. So... Um, So we have a housing market that has catered in part, not wholly, but in part to just those who have money who want to invest for security reasons. And that has, I I felt, been the biggest problem, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is why I think the empty homes tax is appropriate. Okay. Um, Because what what it's aimed at are people who are just treating Vancouver real estate as a safe investment uh, for the piles of money that they've got.
0: A place to harbor their cash. That's right. And
1: meanwhile, meanwhile, it's driving up the land prices, which is driving up people's taxes, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, I know a lot of people think... It's great to have the house, my house value that I bought for, you know, hundred fifty thousand now worth three million, uh, but on the other hand. It's really sad when their kids can't afford to stay in the city. Absolutely. Their kids and their grandkids. There are, are no kids in my neighborhood. Yeah. They, they, and schools are shutting down in your neighborhood, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, it's really, it, it, you know, we have to reverse that. And I think those measures, the empty homes tax and the, you know, and the issues around, well, not so much Airbnb, it's really the empty homes tax yeah. that is really yes. yeah. driving at that problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I think you guys are making some good progress. Hmm. And uh, To wrap this up, you've been a long-time resident of Vancouver. I'm hmm. curious to hear about some things that you get super excited about through the course of the year in Vancouver, whether there's big events that you like to take part in or maybe there's certain neighborhoods that you, you know, if someone's listening to this and they maybe, they kind of live and work and you mentioned commercial drive and they never really go down to the West End, you mm-hmm. live in the West End, or maybe, you know, somebody that's out at UBC and they never go over to Kitsilano. So being a, such a longtime resident of Vancouver and obviously as a politician having to canvas mm-hmm. the, is there any particular neighborhoods that you, you really think are kind of a, a, a hidden secret that people should go check out? Oh. Or are there any... Are there any kind of events in the course of a year that you really enjoy, like I know for like Greek days and uh, Kitsilano is really really big. Um, mm. is there any kind of events that you get super excited about mm. uh, wow. through the course of the year?
1: Okay, well, places I- I've always been in love with Stanley Park. Yeah. As a little kid, so I, w- I w- when I was born in Vancouver, yeah, uh, we lived in East Van, but my mom would take us down um, by bus and then and then they go to fifty six Chevy <laughs> and down to Stanley Park to Second Beach, and Second Beach became my second home. Like yeah. I was down there all the time and even as a teenager I'd go down with my friends and hang out so I have a real uh, a very very long term strong connection to Stanley Park. Now my husband and I live uh, by by Stanley Park and we commonly take walks through the Rhododendrons we're new grandparents first First oh, are you? Congratulations. Yep. Oh, how He's long ago? He's an absolutely sweetheart. Well, uh, 20 months. 20 months. Yeah. Okay, great. So, yeah. uh, so we've taken him around Stanley Park and through the Roto Gardens and yeah. uh, to the beaches. And, and that's so... I have a very strong affinity. But we're also members of the UBC Botanical Garden, okay. uh, Van Dusen Gardens, yeah. and, um, and, and Bloedel Conservatory. So, yeah. you know, I guess we really love gardens and the yeah. outdoors so we, I spend a lot of time in there in terms of festivals well because I've been in politics a long time I mean you must know them all right in, the, in terms of festivals I have to say I've been in the pride parade for many many years yeah. the pride parade is awesome yeah <laughs> like, it is so much fun yeah so I have a really good time um, every year at that I, I love the festival of lights I go down every year and because yeah. we live off this in the west end so that you know I love days uh, the, the Italian days and the car free days and yeah. the Greek festival and yeah, yeah I actually um, We have you know, a lot of fun
0: for people who say that we're not a very fun city yeah. I say they don't get out enough
1: Exactly. Exactly <laughs> Exactly yeah. No it's it's a you know we have a beautiful city I feel so so blessed to be able to live in this city and it's, it's a real honor to be a city councilor in this yeah. fantastic place
0: right well adrian Carve it's been a pleasure having you here today i'm glad we got to get a chance to connect again i think you're doing a great job for the city so best of luck with uh, all your initiatives yeah. and i hope that you'll be rerunning again in uh, two and a half years and yeah. in between now and then enjoy it and, and good luck with get everything. get a lot of work done right? yes exactly please <laughs> keep going yeah, okay thanks <laughs> adrian a lot Carb, thank you very much thanks appreciate it my pleasure great yeah